Blog Talk Radio. by the Appleseed Project, which is the sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association is dedicated to bringing uh, Americans the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today. And at the same time, teaching them uh, about the history uh, of their country teaching them about what it means to be an American, about the choices, the decisions made by men and women on April 19, 1775. That's the day that our nation began. And let me say that uh, when I mention the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship, I'm not talking about the basics. I'm not talking about uh, the bullet coming out of this end, and this end you're getting put against your shoulder and and, uh, don't mix them up. I'm talking about a program that in two days, these are two-day rifle marksmanship clinics, two nice long, uh, pretty high-speed high moving days, you're going to get all the skills and techniques that you're going to need for your whole, uh, uh, for whatever you do and whatever shooting discipline you engage in with rifles uh, for the rest of your life. <clears throat> we, uh, we take folks all the way f- uh, from... Uh, I help people unpackage the rifle that they just bought somewhere and they've never touched in their life. And uh, we get them shooting it the same way 
the same way that we get folks uh, who are unloading their custom-made, specially uh, built uh, uh, designated rifles for designated marksmen, um, SWAT officers, competition shooters, etc. We get the full gamut at uh, at the Appleseed two-day rifle marksmanship uh, clinics, and every one of them has their needs met. We really have begun to specialize uh, in folks uh, who have never uh, who have never fired a, a rifle before. We've gotten really, really good at that, uh, at uh, teaching folks uh, who have no experience when they get there. And also, uh, we've gotten very, very good at... Uh, at having folks develop a very, very strong uh, bedrock of understanding of safety. So at the end of the two-day event, not only will you have uh, improved rifle marksmanship, but you will, you'll have a really good handle on what it means to safely handle a rifle, how to, uh, how to, safely, uh, how to have a safe rifle when you're handling it, and how to have a safe rifle uh, when it's just sitting there. So we're going to make sure that you understand uh, all the components of safety. We're going to make sure that you understand uh, the skills and techniques for the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship, and then uh, we're going to do our best to give you a good grasp of the events of April 19, 1775. So you'll know how our nation began, because that's the date it began on. You'll have a good grip on, on the events on the day when our nation began. <clears throat> so how do you get to one of these events? How do you get to uh, an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Clinic? Well, it's getting easier and easier to find out because uh, <clears throat> we're all over the Internet, and uh, if, you are, if you would like to find out more about what we do, then uh, you can go to rwva.org or appleseedinfo.org, and uh, you can read uh, all of the uh, stuff there on the uh, on the homepage. You can check the facts. Uh, you can look at all the uh, uh, the different headings that we have, what to bring, how to prepare, etc. Then, if you'd like to uh, to find out more than that, then you're certainly welcome to uh, to email the folks at, at Appleseed, and one of us. We'll get back to you and answer any questions you have. We're good about that, too, about answering any questions. If you want to uh, ask questions about a specific state, then uh, you can email that specific state, and I'll tell you how to do that in just a second. First of all, if you want to find out more about uh, the Appleseed Project, you can go to rwva.org, romeowhiskeyvictoralpha.org, or you can go to Info. Dot org, and that's our homepage. Now, on the homepage, <clears throat> you'll get uh, the. Let me switch back to it because now I'm on the. Uh, I'm already on the schedule page, but let me let me give you a, a little bit of what's going on on the homepage because we got a lot of great uh, tech guys who put a lot of time in <coughs> into tweaking this page and, and making it look really good. So we've got a really good 
uh, homepage. It looks very nice, very professional, and uh, they did a great job on updating it. So uh, on the homepage, rwva.org, you'll get uh, uh, a brief uh, discussion of who we are and what we're doing. We're a uh, nonprofit, grassroots, all-volunteer organization, the 501c3, and uh, everybody here is a volunteer, and there are several thousand of us now involved in this. You can... Uh, look at the uh, on the homepage. You can see some of the uh, the latest uh, media stuff that has gone on. I need to send in some of the uh, uh, some of the media stuff from Texas now. I think we have four or five more uh, news reports, uh, television news reports that are out. So I'll send those in. They can take a look at them. But there's plenty of other stuff, plenty of information embedded in the homepage. All right, you've got. Uh, uh, the, there are several tabs across the top. The second one says Appleseed. If you put your cursor on Appleseed, you'll get a click. You'll get a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, you'll get Schedule Comments. Why April 19th, which is our signature event, and it's the day that we start our history discussion on why come to an Appleseed, how to prepare, location, facts, uh, benefactors, how to be a host, and the women of Appleseed. Have the boot camp. Uh, tab, which gives you the general info about a boot camp, the schedules, what to bring, registration, etc. Uh, you've got the register tab, which lets you register online, or it will give you the information about how to send it in by mail. The About Us tab, which talks about the RWVA, the RWVA mission, and has its uh, listed in structures. Uh, there's a donations tab, because I'm not sure that uh, that everybody is aware that uh, we have picked up some uh, benefactors, and uh, when you make a donation to the Alpha C Project, uh, your donation, if you make a $1 donation, it's not just a $1 because they're going to match it. It means your $1 is 2 your uh, $10 is 20 your $50 is 100 your $100 is 200 etc. So think about that and think about donating to the project. Uh then there's a links tab, which has our store. It also has a link to the forum, uh, a link to join the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. It has the latest news, which uh, is about uh, stuff, the information that we're putting out. And then the email tab. So there's plenty of uh, plenty of information on the home page. Now, if you look on the right side, about halfway down, you'll see it says Apple Seed Events. All right. You can uh, click on that, on these states and stuff, and it will give you a, a way to find the closest event to you. Now, let's see. Let me see. There's also on the emails, that's because that's how I kind of started this email list. And you click on the email tab, <clears throat> and that takes you to uh, a page that has either the general inquiries, which we're going to go to info at appleseedinfo.org, and uh, that will go to the uh, uh, to a general group of folks who can answer your questions. Or if you're having a question about a specific state, then it's got a list of all the states on there. You click on that state, and it will send the, uh, the email that you have to that specific state coordinator. <coughs> so if you have a question about uh, Texas, you click on that, and it will set you up to send a, an email to me. And uh, I'll be glad to answer 
uh, your emails, and then uh, any other states, you click on that state, and it will send you usually to the state coordinator uh, or to whoever they have set up to answer the emails. Okay. Uh, so if you want to find out more, you can go to the home page, check the facts, check the uh, why come, why April 19th, how to prepare, locations, etc. You want some more info, go to email, and you can either ask a question uh, generally to uh, info at AppleseedInfo.org, or you can ask one of the specific state folks to answer your question. Now, you've got all your questions answered, and you're ready to go. Okay, how are you going to find out where to go? Well, you go to the Apple Feed tab, put your cursor on that. You've got a drop-down menu. On the drop-down menu, the first tab on there says Schedule. Let's click on that. We'll go to the Schedule, and we will get a list of the current upcoming events. Now, before I go to that, I'm going to read you off the list that Hawkhaven sends to me uh, every week. And Hawkhaven, thank you, because uh, uh, you, you do a great job uh, – at things that a lot of people don't want to mess with, which is the admin stuff and, and the paperwork, keeping track of shoots and shepherding the state coordinators, regional coordinators, etc. So, Hawk, thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, the admin jobs are generally a fairly thankless job. And listen, we ride our admin folks uh, uh, like free horses. I mean, we ride them in the dirt and... Uh, very seldom do we say thank you. We usually say, why isn't something done? Let's go. Get going on it. <clears throat> and uh, and we do that with a lot of the instructors and stuff, too. And and uh, a lot of times we need to take a breath and just remember that, uh, that this is a volunteer organization and that uh, everybody's doing this because their heart has driven them to do this. They've, they've found it as a calling, and their heart has driven them to do this. Nonetheless, since it is all volunteer, nonprofit, nobody's getting paid for it. I mean, we're having to slice these hours that we're devoting uh, out of hours that would normally go to work or to our families. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're telling our folks thank you, because... Uh, Without each and every one of these volunteers, then uh, there would be no apple seed. It'd be a great idea. There just wouldn't be anybody doing it. <clears throat> so, Hawk, thank you for what you do. You're a good man. There's a good many others. Uh, I'll try to keep mentioning them as we go along. There's a good many other folks that uh, that are doing a great job every single day at apple seed. Thanks to every one of you guys because, as I said, without you. Uh, this would be a great idea. Just nothing would be done. All right, so Hawk sends me a uh, a PM every week on uh, usually Monday evenings or Tuesday mornings to let me know what shoots are sold out <coughs> across the nation on the upcoming weeks and months ahead of us because uh, – the days of uh, just walking on to an apple seed line with your rifle and dropping down to the firing position and uh, and just getting ready to shoot uh, are getting real close to being uh, uh, almost, well, I'm not going to say history because you can still do it in a lot of places because we, we have uh, developed a lot of locations with uh, a good amount of firing lines. 
But that being said, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to get a slot. So you've got to make sure that if you're uh, you're dead set on uh, on getting a line of shooting, that you pre-register. All right. And the way you do that is follow the directions that I said earlier. Go to rwva.org. Look at the tabs across the top. Click on Appleseed and uh, then click on Schedule. Because here's what can happen if you don't pre-register. <clears throat> December 4th and 5th weekend, Biloxi, Mississippi, sold out. Fredericksburg, Texas, sold out. Mechanicsville, Virginia, sold out. Colebrook, Connecticut, has one slot left. One slot. So if you're in Colebrook, if you're in anywhere in Connecticut or nearby New England, and you were uh, planning to go to the December 4th and 5th shoot there, you better get, the, get on the ball and get yourself pre-registered because there's just that one slot left. Uh, the December 11th and 12th Annapolis, Maryland shoot is sold out. All right. That is the uh, sold out report for the end of for uh, 2010. Those events are sold out so far. And uh, I see another question on here from from Hawk about did I see his question. And yes, I did, and I'll answer that question tomorrow. <clears throat> Okay, so you're ready to go to an event, and uh, you go to the uh, the scheduled date. And here's what you'll see. You'll see a list of all the events across the nation. Now, uh, if you're not interested in all the events across the nation, right at the top of the column there is a filter. You can put the filter on, and it'll filter it out by states. That means that uh, you, can, uh, you can plug in whatever state you're looking at, and it'll just show just those events. Uh, so if you want to uh, do that, you can uh, fill in your state, hit filter, and it'll just bring up the the uh, the events in the state that you're looking at. <clears throat> I'm going to read off all the states, all the events across the nation, <clears throat> and this will take us uh, all the way to the end of the year, and then we'll uh, we'll hit a few in the in the first days of January too. Okay, you guys ready? The weekend of December 4th and 5th starts off in Saugus, California, followed by Lemoore, California, Coarse Gold, California, Colebrook, Connecticut, which I told you earlier just has that one slot left, Pensacola, Florida, Eureka, Kansas, on Saturday, December 4th, is a one-day event. That's, uh, that is one of the, the new things that we're trying here is, uh, is having some one-day events, and there's a couple of reasons for this. A lot of times folks uh, would like to come to an event uh, or a range would like to host one, but they can't give us the full weekend. So if we can get them to give us one day, then we'll do that. We'll uh, pair it down to a one-day event. Eureka, Kansas on uh, Saturday, December 4th is one of those. That same weekend of the 4th and 5th is uh, Cynthiana, Kentucky, Columbia, Maine, Humansville, Missouri, Biloxi, Mississippi, Roswell, New Mexico, Miamisburg, Ohio, Smithville, Texas. I'll be there uh, this coming weekend for the initial event there in Smithville. And listen, that's only uh, that's less than a rock throw away from Crawford. So maybe we can uh, maybe we can talk uh, some of the folks in Crawford coming to this one. <clears throat> uh, okay, Athens. Texas, December 4th and 5th, uh, Fredericksburg, Texas, 
Mechanicsville, Virginia, La Crosse, Wisconsin, New Martinsville, West Virginia. That takes us to the weekend of December 11th and 12th. That starts off in Buckeye, Arizona, followed by Eureka, California, Piru, California, Corona, California, San Luis Obispo, California, St. Augustine, Florida, Waco, Georgia, Lewiston, Idaho, Rochester, Indiana, Ashland, Kentucky, Sherburne, Louisiana, Harvard, Massachusetts, Annapolis, Maryland, which is a sold-out event I told you about, Hinckley, Minnesota, Como, Mississippi, Billings, Montana, Las Cruces, New Mexico, December 11th and 12th is a ladies-only event. Uh, I've explained this to you guys before, some of the events. Uh, we've tried this a couple of times before, and it seems to work out uh, well. Uh, we uh, occasionally have events which are ladies-only, and uh, this is going to be one of those, Las Cruces, New Mexico, December 11th and 12th. That same weekend uh, running on is Calverton, New York, Eagle Creek, Oregon, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, College Station, Texas, San Angelo, Texas, Yakima, Washington, Stinson, West Virginia. That takes us to the weekend of December 18th and 19th, which begins in Sierra Vista, Arizona, followed by Sacramento, California, Mariposa, California, Azusa, California, Mayaca City, Florida, which is at the Rocky Creek Ranch, North Fayetteville, North Carolina, Ramsar, North Carolina, Boulder City, Nevada, Mannheim, Pennsylvania, and Davila, Texas. Hubertus, Wisconsin, Saturday, December 18th, is a one-day event. <clears throat> All right. I see that, uh, let's see, a week from the 18th and 19th is the 25th and 26th. So with, uh, were people scared to uh, to host an event on Christmas Day? I think you could do that. I bet a lot of people with uh, brand-new rifles would want to rush out somewhere and, uh, and shoot them. You just might lose your uh, your significant other if you were the person that was uh, was hosting that. That'll take us to the end of our year. That will be the end of 2010, another year in the bag for Appleseed, which will bring us to January of 2011. Now, this is just going to this is just a partial list so far because. We still have events coming in. So if I read you the list of uh, on January, and it seems like it's a little skinny, no worries, my friend, because uh, it's going to fill out faster and faster and faster. And uh, please remember, folks, to get your events in uh, uh, as soon as possible so that we have them on the schedule and folks can uh, uh, can begin uh, registering uh, the all the instructors. Remember, you can get uh, yourselves signed up for these, etc. All right, the first weekend <clears throat> is going to be the January eighth and ninth weekend, and uh, that's going to begin in Piru, California, followed by Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Indianapolis, Indiana is the one day Saturday, January the eighth. Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, listen, all these were sold out uh, all the way up to January. So if you want, if you're in uh, Maryland and you'd like to uh, make an Appleseed event, this is going to be your first chance uh, from the last four months 
So you better get your names uh, in there and get your place on the line in Annapolis. That same weekend of the 8th and the 9th, Las Vegas, Nevada, Dallas-Fort Worth. That's the Quill Creek Range in uh, DFW. Stinson, West Virginia. That takes us to the weekend of uh, January 15th and 16th, which begins in Corona, California, followed by Sacramento, California, Rainbow, California, New Smyrna Beach, Florida, Alamogordo, New Mexico, Mannheim, Pennsylvania. That takes us to the January 22nd, 23rd weekend, which begins in Gunnison, Colorado. This is the Lost Canyon Range, followed by Augusta, Georgia, Lewiston, Idaho, Pelham, New Hampshire, St. George, Utah, on Saturday, January 22nd. It's a one-day shoot. Castro Valley, California, starts off the January 29th and 30th weekend, followed by Dilzura, California, Lebanon, Connecticut, Calverton, New York, and El Paso, Texas. All right. <clears throat> Remember that uh, December is just about uh, filled out. Uh, if you can grab, if you can get a, if you can squeeze another shoot into the December. Uh, 18th and 19th weekend, by all means, do so. <clears throat> but you'll have to do it in the next couple of days to make sure it gets there in time for it to get on the schedule and to do promotions and stuff for it. Uh, really, for all intents and purposes, uh, this is going to be about the end of our year. That being said, there's a whole brand new year stretching out ahead of us. Don't let uh, your chance to get an event in January. Don't let it slip by you. <clears throat> We're also running the Winter Seed Project this winter. If you want more information about it, if you're on the forum, uh, you can contact uh, B9. He's uh, ramrodding the Winter Seed Project. He'll be glad to answer any of your questions. Uh, if you're not on the forum, then remember what I said. Go to rwva.org. Go to the email tab and uh, and hit New York and send a letter to uh, New York State Coordinator, and he'll put you in touch with Ed there as far as uh, getting uh, being part of the Winter Seed Project. Now, this goes to all of the locations, and what we're doing is we're offering a special patch. This is a pretty sharp-looking patch, and if you, for the people who are uh, patch hunters, uh, the only way to get this one is for you to attend an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Clinic and to shoot to rifleman standards during inclement weather. So, uh, and it has to be inclement cold weather, too, all right? You're not going to get the, the winter seed patch by shooting in uh, uh, 120 degree heat this summer. I don't know if we'll... If we'll design a, uh, a Hades patch or something like that, but <clears throat> you won't get the winter seed patch, okay? In order to get the winter seed patch, you'll need to shoot uh, in the next few months during the winter in inclement weather. And as far as I know, these patches are not retroactive. If you shot uh, uh, during the, the great snowstorm of 2007 or 2008, uh, you're not eligible for this. You're going to have to... Uh, conjure up the great snowstorm of 2010 or 11 and work on uh, on shooting riflemen at that event, okay? <clears throat> and this is something you should be, uh, all of you guys, 
especially uh, you guys in the uh, the places where winter hits heaviest. You guys are already geared up for winter. You already you're already going through this. You already go through this as a regular part of your lives. Why not get down on the line during an apple seed event on one of these and grab yourself uh, a winter seed patch? Uh, now, if you're not doing it for uh, the patch, uh, which I'm just kidding. You really shouldn't be doing it for the patch. You should be doing it for yourself. The patch is just a bonus. But you should be finding out. Uh, one of the things I love about Appleseed is that it gives everybody a chance to find out what their uh, rifle systems do in inclement weather. And I'm not, uh, I'm not talking about just cold weather, but in all weather. Find out uh, what happens uh, when it's pouring down rain and you're trying to fight to shoot a rifle. I told you uh, a couple of years ago, several years ago, I was at uh, Jericho, uh, Jericho, Vermont range, and it was the first time I'd fired my M1 Durand uh, in pouring down rain. So I found out what happens then, and here's, I'll tell you what happens. The receiver fills up with water, and if you've kept that thing uh, nice and greased down like it should be when you're getting ready to run it in, in dry weather, here's what you're going to get. The receiver's going to fill up with water. You pop that round off, and, and every subsequent one, it's going to be like somebody uh, took a... Uh, a mouthful of uh, water, and added uh, one teaspoon of Crisco, and uh, kind of swished it around their mouth and spit it right in your face from an inch away. So that goes in your eye, and even if you wipe the water, I still got grease in your eye, so you can't see for the follow-up shots. Now, how would I have known that if I hadn't been shooting my Garand in the in the uh, the pouring down rain? Now I know. It looks like wet weather. Even if it looks like wet weather 15 minutes from now, I can still pop the trigger group out, pop the action out, and uh, get a rag and wipe down all of the extra grease on there and get it out of there. So that on the first couple of shots, I don't completely blind myself uh, by shooting gun grease in both my eyes. <clears throat> by the same time, uh, at the same time, uh, not at the same time, but... Uh, in the same fashion, you can find out how many rounds you can fire uh, after the wind blows uh, a half pint of uh, dirt, grit, sand, leaves, uh, pine needles, gravel into your action while you're trying to shoot. How many rounds can you shoot then uh, before it jams up? Uh, or in the mud, in the ice. If you're in the ice and you find out what happens, if uh, you're trying to get that magazine in during the load and you drop it face down into the snow and ice and it packs uh, ice into the opening uh, of the uh, magazine where the rounds are and you don't knock it off and you jam that in the rifle and you try and uh, chamber around and instead you chamber uh, a big chunk of ice. <clears throat> that's what happens. And you find out that that's what happens because how else are you going to find this stuff out? Uh, I imagine you could try and read through uh, volumes of people uh, talking about uh, shooting trivia, but you're not going to find out what happens to your specific rifle because how often are you going to go on a weekend, are you going to say uh, to your buddy, hey, listen, let's go to the range this weekend. Let's stay there for two days, and let's stay there for 10 hours both days. 
And uh, when it starts pouring down rain, let's don't go home or get undercover. Let's lay down in the mud and shoot. What do you think about that? And your buddy's just going to look at you and go, man, you have some problems. When really, you should be finding this out. Or you tell your buddy, listen, <clears throat> I know it's 20 degrees and it's uh, there's a lot of snow coming down right now. And, and then it'll warm up a little bit and we'll get sleet and then some rain. And then we'll start snowing again and freezing. And <clears throat> but despite all that, let's go to the range this weekend and let's... Uh, Let's lay down in the snow with our rifles, and let's shoot about four or 500 rounds in the snow and ice over the two days. And uh, let's see how our rifles do. And more than that, more important than that, I think, <clears throat> finding out what your rifles does is good. It's one thing. But here's the more important thing you're going to find out. What do you do? How do you act? How do you handle it? Can you lay down in the cold water and the mud and still concentrate on your shooting? Uh, Can you lay down in the cold and be shivering and stop that shivering just for a second while you're within the rifleman's bubble and make the shot? Can you do that? And how do you know if you can or you can't if you don't do it? So the best thing for you to do is uh, go to an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship event and... And find out. All right, uh, we're going to get started in a minute with the uh, Battle of Oriskany, the second part. I got you guys started on the uh, on the first part last weekend, but before I do that, I want to uh, bring on uh, my buddy Sam, Sam D from New Mexico, uh, so that he can uh, give me a hand here. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Scout. Glad to be here again. Man, you are getting better and better. Uh, I I didn't hear anything, but I know that just seconds ago you clicked the off switch on that chainsaw uh, or the table saw or the electric drill or something so it wouldn't be interfering with the show, and I I thank you for that. (laughs) How are things going in New Mexico? You guys getting ready to qualify some folks uh, under the winter seed patch? Well, if they really want it, we can do that. But we're more into getting people out there and teaching them history and how to shoot. I don't care if the patch has got icicles or if it's pink or, as one feller on the chat suggested, a zombie. But uh, we're, we're going to get out there and we're going to have some good fun, do some shooting, do some history. Right, right. And uh, that is the most important part. I I plugged the patch just because... Uh, because it's something to plug, but uh, oh, yeah. I, said, I, I got no grief with that. I, that's that, that's not issues, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to do it. Part, whether it's the most important or not. part is, is like I said, is finding out, finding out what how you, what what your rifle system does. Finding out how it works in the rain and the uh, in the sand and the dust and the heat, and uh, and then of course the most important part, which is finding out what you do. How do you how do you handle that? How do you do it? You know, because I'm always uh, amazed, and I've talked to you about this before, and I know that you've experienced the exact same thing, and that is uh, I'm always amazed at at the folks that when it does start raining, and it is muddy, and I listen, I've got some, I've been to several uh, different places that, uh, that did not have 
the best uh, rainy day facilities. Uh, and I'm always amazed at how the people, uh, without questions, they get down in the mud and start shooting. And we're not talking about, we're not, and listen, guys, if you're not familiar with the program, if you haven't been to an Appleseed event, I don't want you to think that we're talking about 20 or 30 battle-hardened Iraqi veterans uh, who are on the line, uh, on leave from their from their uh, from their duties, and have come here to show us uh, how hardcore they are. I'm talking about uh, mom and pop and kids and uh, uh, nurses, uh, computer technicians, uh, nuclear scientists, uh, on and on, uh, folks that get down into the mud. And uh, last year we had uh, a new range at uh, College Station. Uh, it had some design issues, which meant that uh, when it started raining, the water backed up in the ditches and ran all the way up to the firing line. So from the waist, uh, from the waist to your feet, uh, the bottom half of your body was laying in like six inches of water. <clears throat> and that they did it. They did it. They got down and they shot. The same thing with a coal. I've seen folks out there just shivering, but they won't leave the line. They're not going to abandon the line. They're going to keep. They're going to continue shooting until they have learned the skills and techniques. And that's what that's what Appleseed's about. That's fact. And you got some fine people out there in all kind of weather, uh, rain, mud, snow. They're out there, just regular old people wanting to learn. You can't ask right. for a better bunch. <clears throat> how is the uh, how's the weather so far in there in New Mexico? Have you guys uh, is it starting to look like winter yet? It's it's uh, well into winter. It was 17 here last night, and cold and clear. I think the high was 37 or 38 today. Uh, if you look out the window, it looks like it's about 70. But when you step outdoors, you'll know better real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've been uh, uh here in Texas we've been going back and forth. You know, we've had uh, oh, uh at the boot camp uh this week before last we had uh, one morning <clears throat> when we were uh, scraping thick frost off of everything and uh, then we had uh, one day of uh uh short sleeves and sweat. And so we're we're in that back and forth period right now here. I imagine at some point soon it's going to break down and uh, start to get really cold. But we're doing, uh, we're in the the back and forth right now. But if you're looking for uh, an inclement weather, a chance to shoot in inclement weather, I can almost guarantee you uh, a chance here in the next couple of months. Uh, We've got another couple of phone calls. Listen, before I get to the phone calls, real quick, let me tell let me tell the folks this that uh, I. Uh, I got a new computer, uh, and oh it's a nice new fancy one, and uh, so uh, so I'm back in the computer world. Uh, uh, I wasn't uh, this wasn't by my choice. My my wife actually bought it for me because I was uh, I was on strike against computers, but uh, <laughs> so she bought it for me. So now I'm back on now. I told you guys I was having trouble with the the blog talk chat room uh with my other computers. I I didn't just use have one, I tried three or four different ones. And I ran a test show 
a few days ago with this one and uh, had no problem whatsoever with opening up the chat on the test show. Now, tonight, it's not opening. So uh, I'm back to square one, and I'll talk to the blog talk folks again tomorrow. And then Kirby, uh, Scuzzy on the forum, is a tech guy. He's going to help me with it, too. And listen, uh, Kirby has uh, developed a – he's working with the new software for you guys. So if, if any of you guys uh, would like for him to give you a hand – He's uh, working with some new software that can that will allow him to actually uh, uh, work with you on your computer from his location. It'll be just like he's standing there with you. Uh, so uh, he's going to work with me, I guess. I, I told him he was going to work with me earlier today. And I said, "Look, I got it all worked out," but apparently I don't. So uh, we'll be doing that in the next couple of days. So if you're looking for me on the chat, uh, and you can't find me. That's that's why. <clears throat> okay. Uh, let's see, we've got uh, another caller here. Let me uh, bring this this one on before we get started, because I don't want, uh, want the callers to have to wait too long. There was another caller that hung up uh, just a minute ago. If you'd like to call back in real quick before we get started, I'll get you on the air. Area code 941, you're on the air. How you doing? All right, who's this? Uh, this is Mike Johnson and Ann Johnson in Wichita, Kansas. Well, hey, how are you guys doing? Good. And there's one more Johnson, right, that uh, that should have been to the Appleseed by now. Yeah, that's Tyler, my son. Your son? How did he do? Well, he uh, he qualified at the last one he was at, so. Well, good job. How are you guys doing this evening? What do you got? Oh, we're just chiming in. We're going to be going to the winter seed on, on December 4th. I That will be my first apple seed event and uh, of course a one day event and I asked my wife the instructor in training what are the odds that I could uh, qualify you know and at a one day deal and she says I don't know if it's ever been done I don't know so but she's oh, been oh yeah cool. look at it's been done <laughs> it just usually hasn't been done by a guy <laughs> oh I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it then <laughs> But she's been coaching me, so my left arm's pretty well uh, numbed up, and uh, yeah. and all that. But looking well, listen, forward. To it. All the stuff that uh, the way it works in Apple Seed Rifle Marksmanship event, you've got the two-day clinics, and what we do is we. And I'm not telling you this because you know this, Mike, but I'm telling telling everybody else since you brought it up that uh, <clears throat> on Saturday, which is the day you want to come to, if you're going to pick one of two days, pick Saturday because that's the day that when we introduce uh, all the techniques, do all the demonstrations and stuff like that. We'll, we can we can get you going on Sunday, but it's going to be a lot harder. Sunday is more of a refresher. But on Saturday what we'll do <coughs> is uh, you'll start off the day, you'll get the uh, uh, the safety briefing, the line commands, uh, some history, and then you'll start shooting with the red coat, uh, and then you'll go into the shooting demonstration phase. And this is all done at the 25-meter distance. The reason it's done at 25 meters is because it gives us a chance to get instant uh, feedback on it. Uh, we could teach you at 100, 200, 300, 400 meters, but then you'd have to walk down to that 400-meter target every single time to check it. Sure. So the best thing to do is we'll start off at the 25-meter, and then you'll get the, all the instruction there, at the 25 meter on Saturday, that gives you a chance to go down, check the targets, come back, use that data for your next round, 
and uh, we'll teach you the uh, uh, the sling use, uh, how to build a uh, uh, a proper shooting position, how to determine your natural point of aim and shift it on the target, and then how to execute this shot by the six steps and all the components uh, of each of those phases you'll learn. <clears throat> and then you'll start practicing them. And then hopefully by the end of the day, you'll get a chance to shoot an AQT. Now, the Appleseed Project is not a com competition. You don't come here and you don't compete against each other and get a trophy. The only person you're competing against is yourself. Nonetheless, we still need a way uh, to determine if the instruction that we're giving you, if it's taking hold, and that's what we use the AQT for. It's a diagnostic tool. We're going to look at the, the targets that you're shooting and see if you are if you're getting a grip on the instructions. <clears throat> so you'll be shooting all day Saturday, and it's uh, uh, the course is it's not an abbreviated course. As a matter of fact, it's if anything, it's it's packed a little fuller if it's a one day event, specifically a designed for a one day event. And uh, depending on your uh, your shooting experience, there should be no reason you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't be able to bring yourself all the way up to uh, a uh, uh, rifleman standards of shooting, and uh, and get a patch on that day. I'm not going to tell you that it's a it's a normal occurrence either, though. Uh, when well, I'm coming on the first day, it's it's usually either uh, it's usually either a very experienced shooter, and by very experienced, I'm not talking about a hunter or uh, something like somebody that goes hunting every year, or somebody that that goes out on the weekends and shoots the cans. I'm talking about uh, NRA, uh, high-power type guys, stuff like that, because they already have a good amount of this instruction. They just, uh, they've just never been given it formally. Now, I have seen women shoot rifle and standards on the first day several times, and uh, I told you this before last time we were talking, that uh, the reason is that usually women... Guys come to the events and they say, okay, I know what to do. I'm shooting. I know how to do this. I'll listen to you, but I'm only going to listen with part of one ear because I already know how to shoot. Yeah. And women, they come and they say, good grief. I don't know anything about what I'm doing, so I better listen. And they'll listen, and they they put the skills and techniques that we give them to good use, and voila, it works. <clears throat> so... I think that you'll do a great job because it sounds like you said that she's having you shooting. More important than shooting live rounds, though, is going to be the amount of time you spend uh, dry firing. And, well, that's you know, having, what we're doing down in the basement. So, what do you but have? I'm having a What do you got set up? Uh, we've got one of the. Uh, is it a ten foot AQT? So you set it up at ten feet. It's a miniature AQT, I guess, so it simulates even simulates the, the the larger distances, but it's a lot smaller. So we've been doing dry firing down there. So uh, I'm having a little trouble with my sitting stance, though, uh, due to the the uh, beer belly that I've been working on for a while. Um, other than that, it's going pretty well. <laughs> well, that's normal too. And that's normal for a lot of people. And you don't have to have, just have a beer belly, but a beer belly accentuates it. A lot of us, when we get a little bit older, we pack on a few pounds. And what happens is that when you get into the sitting position, you've arched your body. And when you arch your body, 
you now force the organs in uh, in your the lower part of your stomach. You force them up into the area that is normally occupied or is needed for use by the diaphragm. So mm-hmm. now when you try and breathe, that area where your diaphragm would normally uh, contract and expand is now taken up by your organs. So it's uh, it's hard to breathe in that position. But there's a couple of things you can do to help you through that. One of the things you can do is when you get into your prep period, <clears throat> your prep period should be used for two things. Uh, I mean, you, not for two things. It should be used for what it says is uh, preparation. And during your prep period, you do the actual uh, rehearsal of the stage you're going to shoot. So you're going to shoot the uh, stage two, which is standing to sitting. You know, just get in your sitting position and start uh, uh, adjusting your swing and stuff and looking at the target. Go through it just like you would a rehearsal for anything else. Uh, You use the preparation period as the rehearsal for the stage you're going to shoot. So you actually start in the standing, get down to the seated, and do that several times so that you are able to do it in a fluid, in a safe, fluid motion, making sure that uh, you're keeping control, positive control of your muzzle. And the thing you do before that is once you're getting ready to go into stage two, especially once you're in the prep, start over-breathing. And what that means is you're going to take in a lot of deep breaths. You're going to breathe extra. Uh, not to the point of hyperventilation, where you start uh, you start seeing the twirlies around the edges of your eyes, and then you pass out. All right, you want to go that far. You want to stop right before you get to that, but you want to overbreathe. That means you're taking in uh, a lot of oxygen, so that that oxygen you can have your oxygenated blood when you go into this stage, because you don't want to be thinking about getting air in this stage. You want to think about shooting. So what you're doing is you're prepping your body as you're getting as you're going into the prep period. You're rehearsing through it. You're starting to shut and lock the doors down so that you're moving into the rifleman's bubble, and you're over breathing. So you're starting your over breathing so that whenever you get down in that position, your diaphragm is uh, limited. You have uh, an excess amount of oxygen in your blood than you normally would have to help sustain you. And then, instead of trying to take in a deep breath, you're going to pant like a dog. <laughs> So instead of taking breathe in, breathe out, take the shot, you're going to pant a little bit and then get to your pause and take the shot. And that will help you get through the, uh, the the lack of air or the lack of the ability to take in the air in that position. And then make sure that you stick to your cadence. You know, Stick to the rifleman's cadence. You're going to breathe in, breathe out, take the shot, and you're going to stay on that cadence. Uh, and you're going to keep your focus on making the shot. So during your prep, you're going to start over-breathing, you're going to start locking down the doors for the rifleman bubble, and at the same time, you're going to rehearse. You're going to actually rehearse the full second stage. Start standing, go to seated. Uh, Get into the seated, pantomime, uh, putting in your uh, magazine, working the action, taking the safety off, getting your NPOA and taking that first shot. And listen, the reason you're rehearsing it is so that you do it in the actual course of fire. Because you can tell people over and over what they're supposed to do, but if they haven't rehearsed it, uh, then they're going to get a little bit uh, harried or anxious, and they're going to forget some of this stuff. And I'm telling you, if you don't work the action, if you don't take the safety off, the rifle is not going to fire. 
Hmm. So you have to make sure that you do those things. And the way to make sure that you know that you're going to do them is to rehearse it. Then uh, once you've taken, you've gotten your NPOA, you take those two shots, because this, the stage two is a uh, has a mag prep of two and eight, but of course a fire of five and five. That means that after you fire those two shots, don't try and get a third shot out of that two-round mag. Drop the mag, new mag in, chamber around, fire three rounds at the first target, and then switch your NP away by shifting your body to the second target and expend the remaining five rounds into that target. Now, to make sure that you're going to do this, you need to rehearse it. It's no different than if I... If I gave you a script and say, okay, we're going to do uh, uh, the 12 Days of Christmas or Scrooge or something like that, here's the script. Okay, give me the script back. Now start uh, doing the play. You're not going to know how to do the play because you haven't rehearsed it. So you have to make sure that uh, that you use your prep period. I see a lot of folks in prep <coughs> that just uh, they sit down or they look or they talk or they start jacking with something on their rifle or something, and they're not using it. For what it's supposed to be, which is preparation for that for the coming stage of uh, or coming course of fire. So make sure that you're doing that, and you can do that in your home. Uh, you can do the prep, uh, getting to the position, etc. You can do that over and over, and you're down your basement, and then rehearsing through the course of fire, making sure that making sure that whenever it gets when you get out there on the apple seed line and you start shooting it. That it's no longer a uh, uh, you're, you're no longer questioning about what you have to do because everything is going to be done by muscle memory. You're going to know what to do, so that will help you. Because one of the one of the, the biggest things about uh, uh, the AQT is people uh, not uh, finishing uh, a course of fire. You know, when they start out, when they first start out, not finishing a course of fire because they run out of time, etc. And the reason they run out of time is because they don't uh, work the action or they don't take the safety off or they try and get a third or fourth round out of the two-round mag, and then they get flustered, and they uh, and, and it puts, sets off their timing, et cetera, and then all of a sudden uh, you're a ceasefire and you've only gotten five or six rounds off. So during your uh, preparation for the apple seed, make sure that you're doing that. Make sure that you're actually rehearsing the whole stage, every part of it, so that when it comes time, whenever you get the fire command from the guys uh, there on the line at stage two, you're not wondering about what you're having to do. You're just going through what you're having to do by muscle memory, and that allows you to take the focus off what you're supposed to be doing physically and put it on what you're supposed to be doing mentally, which is keeping the front sight on the target. So I hope that will give you some help on that. As far as the breathing, like I said, you'll just need to try to make sure that you're over-breathing in the prep period for that. And the, this works on every stage, not just on uh, on stage two. This will work in stage one, in the standing position, the same thing. A lot of folks, uh, as much as I try and discourage them from it, they, they'll start shooting in stage one and they won't let the rifle down. And on top of that, I'll look at them. They'll be holding their breath. They'll be holding their breath all the way through stage one. That means for some people, they're trying to hold their breath for two minutes. I'm telling you, a lot of these people are not uh, Olympic swimmers. So uh, they're going to run out of air. Make sure that you are during your in your preparation period for the stages that you are you're doing deep breathing. 
And that'll do two things. One, it'll help to uh, set, uh, steady you and calm you down because you're getting, you're flooding your blood with oxygen, which is a has a calming effect. Two, it'll give you the uh, the extra oxygen you'll need during that course of fire. So make sure that you're uh, that you're using the over breathing in all of the stages. <clears throat> so you guys are going to be going at the the 18th and 19th. Now the fourth, uh, the one day. Oh, this coming weekend. That's right. All right. Uh, and this will be the whole family? Um, not sure yet. I'm not sure what the uh, the status is of my son right now. He's uh, he's uh, volunteered to be an instructor in training, but um, he's uh, he's got some other obligations that uh, that he uh, needs to take care of as well. But uh, it's possible that we might all three be there and. And uh, I'm not sure how many of us will be shooting and how many of us will be learning the instructor trade. So, uh, but it's a good good chance that uh, we'll all be going, and uh, so that that's something we're looking forward to. Well, good. And listen, uh, another thing I want to say is uh, because uh, Mike just brought this up is that when you're saying I don't know if uh, if he's going to be instructing or shooting. Uh, whenever you go to an event. If there's an opportunity for you as an instructor to get down on the line and shoot, you should be doing that. You should be getting down on the line and shooting uh, because that does two things. One, it keeps your shooting skills current, uh, and they need to be current. They need to be up to snuff because here's why. You can uh, per, you can teach another person to shoot uh, even without ever shooting. You know, they did it... Uh, uh, they did it uh, in World War II. They did it uh, in uh, World War One, etc. Because they had to train a lot of guys to shoot all at once, but they didn't have a whole lot of rifle marksmanship instructors. So a lot of guys read the books, and then they got out, got out there and they taught them. And that's what those guys took to war with them, uh, were the skills and techniques taught to them by somebody who hadn't been shooting. Now, so you can do that. But listen, it works a lot better if you have uh, been shooting sometime in the last uh, couple of weeks because that makes you understand what the shooters that you are trying to uh, instruct, what they're going through, what happens, uh, how uh, uh, how holding your arm under the rifle helps, how keeping your trigger uh, knee pulled up helps. How breathing right helps. It keeps it lets you understand the importance of this. Uh, it also lets you understand uh, a lot better about uh, how to diagnose with talking targets, etc. Because as an instructor, you're going to be looking at the folks on the line. You're going to be looking at their bodies, seeing what they're doing. Are they do they have the right the correct body position? Are they holding the trigger back? Are they dragging wood? Are they jerking the trigger? Are they blinking during the shot? Uh, are they shooting at their respiratory pause, et cetera? Are they doing that? You, you can you can learn some of that by watching them while they're on the line, and then you go down to the target line and you match up what you saw them doing with what uh, their target says, how what the where the impact of the rounds of the target show. But you're never going to be as good as they are at diagnosing their targets, and that means that. What you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, to learn 
what your body is doing, uh, you as the shooter slash instructor, and then what the attendees are trying to learn is the same thing. They're trying to learn uh, what you're wanting them to learn. You're wanting them to match up what they did on the line with the results down at the target because only they know if they were uh, uh, if they were shooting in rifleman's cadence, if they were uh, shooting at the uh, at the uh, the right place in their breathing cycle, uh, if they had their eyes open, etc. Uh, some of the stuff only they are going to know. All right, so you're going to have to get them to understand how to match up what they're doing on the line with the holes in the paper at the target line, and uh, and by getting down and shooting on a regular basis, you're going to be able to better uh, relay this instruction to them, all right? So try and keep your skills as current as possible. If you get to an event and you've got some extra instructors, try and get some time on the line yourself. Uh, you don't have to be there all day, but uh, try and get some, de- some time on the line yourself uh, as often as possible because... Uh, as everybody knows who's an instructor, that uh, once once you take the hat and uh, you start instructing, it gets a lot harder to find time to shoot because you're giving up that uh, one week in a month that normally you might be shooting at, and now you're instructing. So try and get some time on the line at uh, any events that you can get to. Uh, normally it's not that hard because... Uh, uh, you, you know, you can uh, you can shoot some of the stages very easily, even if you are, are an RSO, because uh, you're just going to be an RSO just from uh, the ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire command uh, to the uh, uh, the line is clear, the line is clear. So, uh, other than that, you can take your place on the line and shoot. So, try and keep your shooting skills current. <clears throat> All right, Mike, did you have anything else you want to uh, to put out? No, I'm good, but I really appreciate the advice, and uh, just uh, wish me luck. <laughs> Listen, you don't need luck, all right, because we're going to give you skill, which is uh, hands down better over luck, right? Right on. All right. Listen, uh, I'm not going to hang up on you. You can continue to listen if you want and uh, by phone, or if you want to hang up, you can. But I'll tell everybody else, if you'd like to call in, the number is 347 3088 790. Sam, are you on the uh, the chat room? I am, Scout. Okay. If somebody calls in and uh, or somebody on there says, hey, I want to call in and I want to get on the air, uh, then uh, make sure that you uh, give me a, a heads up on that because, like I said, I can't see the chat still. And uh, uh, I'll try and take the calls. In just a minute, though, I'm going to start with the, uh, the last part of the Battle of Oriskany. So if somebody wants to call in, you can call in at 347-308-8790. We'll try and get you on the air as quickly as possible. But in uh, just a minute, I'm going to start with the the second half of the Battle of Oriskany, and I probably won't take any calls during that until after that. <clears throat> so if you want to call in, uh, try and make it in the next couple of minutes, and we'll, we'll get you on the air. <clears throat> uh, okay. So let me finish up with this. Winter seed. And we'd like to make sure that everybody is participating in winter seed. And the idea behind winter seed is making sure that uh, that we don't 
take the Appleseed engine out of gear and uh, and idle it down for the winter. Uh, we want to make sure that we're still running at uh, at full speed because we're going to need these next couple of months to get those last few uh, IITs, get the experience under their belt, get them under the hat so that they're ready to help at the April 19th events for 2011. It's coming up on us uh, at the speed of light. So don't uh, don't idle your engines down. Make sure that uh, you're doing the best job possible of scheduling these events for the next couple of months, January, February, and March, <coughs> so that you can use them uh, to identify more instructors, get them uh, get them up to snuff and get them... Uh, under a hat and get them a weekend or two uh, of experience so that they can get on the trail and be ready to assist you uh, for the April 19th events this coming year because there's going to be a lot of them, folks. Uh, last year was 100, and, you know, we double every year. So this year, I imagine, we're going to try and get uh, 200. So that's a lot of instructors for a lot of events. Uh, we're going to need every moment we can. So use this time to, to, to get ready for that. Also, you know, when folks first come to an event, uh, they're, the most, uh, they're the most ready to come to another one uh, within the next uh, 30 to 60 days after they come to that first event. We want the line filled on April 19th. So how's the best way to do it? Have events, have as many events as you can in February and March. That way you round up the folks in February and March and say, look, guys, you like this? You want to come back to another one? Come back to the April 19th weekend and uh, and get on the line then. So we want to use this to get the instructors ready, uh, to keep the program running at a high speed, and uh, to help get the word out for the uh, the upcoming year for the April 19th event. All right, let's take another caller real quick. Area code 360, you're on the air. Hey, Scout, how you doing? Good, who's this? Hello, Wheeler. Hey, Wheeler. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Well, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. Now, didn't you try and call last week uh, or week before about something? Mm, no, it uh, could have been somebody else from out here, though. Okay. Uh, well, what do you got? Oh, I just called to say that uh, we still got 12 spots on the line at Eagle Creek, Oregon. That's about 20 miles from Portland. Anybody out here in the West wants to get down to a shoot, they got on the weekend of the 11th and 12th, they got the Eagle Creek shoot, or they get out to Yakima, they got a Yakima shoot. If they're on the other side, they get out to Coeur d'Alene, they got a Coeur d'Alene, Idaho shoot. And listen, that's Oregon in December. Which means uh, they got a pretty likely event of uh, of qualifying for a winter seed patch, right? Well, uh, traditionally, and I've only been in the program since 2008. And uh, in December 2008, we had snow on the line at uh, Wade's DAR in Castle Rock, about 50 miles or 60 miles from the shooting at Eagle Creek. Uh, again, in 2009, we had the same. Uh, we had snow and freezing rain. I think both of those would get you that that uh, fancy patch. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to have just snow. I want I wouldn't want to have just snow without freezing rain. 
Yeah, you know, it's not quite the same. If you get down in the mud, if you get down in the mud, it only has about an inch of snow on top of it, but then you get the freezing rain to kind of stick everything together, then it makes it good and miserable for a nice, good shoot. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, you can have, uh, let's see, the freezing rain. That would allow you to lay those rifles down, uncovered, get some freezing rain uh, into those actions and have it freeze up so that you've got to kind of pound it a little bit uh, to work that action. Right, and then you want to get right with that rifleman's cadence so it doesn't freeze up between shots. You're sitting there trying to get all perfect. Don't mess with getting perfect. Just get your rifleman's cadence going. Keep that barrel warm. And keep your arsenal nice and warmed up so it doesn't freeze on you, and you get right through it. It's easy. It's really a piece cake. There you go. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, the rifleman's bubble is awfully important during these winter seeds. That's where you, uh, where the only thing that you're thinking about when you're in the rifleman's bubble is the shot you're about to fire. That means that nothing else in your universe at that moment matters. You're going to be uh, making sure that you have the proper shooting position, that you've determined your natural point of aim, and that you're executing the shot by the six steps. You're firing within the rifleman's cadence. Uh, You're keeping your uh, eye focus on your front sight and your mind focus on keeping that front sight on the target. And that's all you're thinking about. It doesn't matter how many rounds you've shot uh, previously in your life. I don't care if you fired a round uh, five seconds ago and it went to the dirt three feet in front of you. It's meaningless. The yeah, ice that's, that's forming in your, in your mustache is meaningless. The only thing that matters to you in your universe is the round you're about to fire. And that'll that's keep you one, nice and warm. That'll keep you not thinking piece, about it. One piece of advice I'd give to everybody is forget that last shot. There's nothing you can do about it. She's down the pipe and then the dirt. Move on. Got, uh, exactly. You're never gonna you're never gonna fix any shot you've ever made in your life in any way or any fashion. The only thing you can do is fix the next shot. That's the only thing you can do in your life. And that goes for your whole life. You're never gonna fix uh anything that has already happened. The only thing you're gonna be able to have any effect on is what is about to happen in your life. Now J B uh, I think I told you guys last week during the, the boot camp, J B gave me uh, some great advice that he'd garnered from uh, another boot camp, and uh, I'll find, I'll find out who, who who told him so I can give the the, the proper uh, credit to it. <clears throat> but the advice he was given is a rifleman only has to do the next right thing. That's all you got to do. To live yeah. your life as a rifleman, all you have to do is the next right thing. And I thought that was pretty simple, pretty stunning uh, and worthwhile advice. Yeah. Can't tell you how many times I've seen people on stage two and three, you know, the time stages where things go pretty quick. They're sitting there looking through a scope trying to figure out where the last shot went. they got no time for that. No time for that. Exactly. It don't make a difference anyway. Exactly. Or have somebody uh, uh, shoot around, and uh, and I'll see them. I'll, they can With the scope, they can see that they, they, they probably didn't hit where they wanted to, and you'll see them tensing up and... and and cursing under their breath, and if I'm close by, I always lean down and say, "Is that? Do you think that's helping you? Do you think that cursing about that last round is helping you with the next round?" The only thing that's going to help you is to know that the only thing at that in that 50 seconds of your life, the only thing that matters is a round you're about to fire. That's the only thing that matters in your whole life, in your whole universe. I don't care what else is happening in your life when you're within a course of fire. 
The only thing that matters in your universe is the round you're about to fire. That's all. That's right. You gave another piece of good advice here a while ago when you were talking to the previous caller here. You told him to, to practice manipulating the rifle. You know, uh, I, I've seen so many people that, that miss out on the second and third stage that don't get the score that they want on that. Would have taken them to rifleman, but they'll uh, put the hammer down on an empty chamber after that uh, after that first two shots. You know, they won't they won't think about the mag change until they come up click empty. Uh, that'll cost you a couple seconds, and then there's a, a cognitive dissonance they go through, and it's like, what happened? And then they have to go, oh, now I have to mag change, and it, it should be automatic. You should fire two right. shots and be dumping the magazine, get right into that next one. Let's go. That's right. The only and way, the way you're you do that is, is rehearsing it. And you should be familiar, uh, and you may not be familiar if you just grabbed a new rifle online, but otherwise, if you're taking a rifle that you uh, that you have been shooting, then you should be familiar with that rifle. That includes all the manipulations, all the mechanic manipulations of that rifle. You should have an intimate relationship with your rifle. That means that you should be able to uh, blindfold it. You should be able to uh, pick up a magazine, Put it in correctly and work the action and just by the feel of it, know if it's on safe or not, know how to get the magazine out. Uh, you should be able to reach down and touch that magazine and just by touching it, understand the orientation of the magazine so that you can get it into the rifle correctly and in a rapid fashion. If you're using a 1022, then you know when you touch that magazine, you're feeling for that little teat on there with your thumb, and uh, you know how it's oriented and it can go in there without you looking at it. That way you don't have to take your eye off of the target. You shouldn't be looking around at things whenever you're in any of the stages, but you certainly shouldn't be in two and three. You should be having your eye on the target so you don't have to reacquire it, because if you take your eye off that target, when it comes back up, are you on the right target? Because if you don't have your natural point of aim, you may not be on the right target. You're going to waste all those rounds shooting on somebody else's target, and that's not going to make them friendly. So you should be able to look at the target. That don't give me any yeah. extra points to shoot somebody else's target. <laughs> right. You should be able to keep your eyes on the target, and you should already have your magazines pre-positioned. And I'm not talking about gaming the AQT. I'm talking about understanding how to make a magazine reload for your particular rifle system. I don't care what you've got. If you've got a an AR-15 with a beta mag, the one thing all all firearms have in common is that at some point uh, they will run out of ammunition, and you'll have to reload them. So knowing where your magazine is and knowing how to uh, to orient it correctly and get it into your rifle is an important part uh, of shooting. And uh, you should be practicing this over and over and over. Not, not because you're gaming the AQT, but because you are attempting to establish uh, an, an intimate relationship with your, with your rifle. And uh, the only way to do that is by being familiar with the mechanics of it, how it works, how you can get the mag in, how you can work the bolt, get, make sure the safety is off, make sure that, you, uh, <clears throat> that you're not, uh, like he was saying just a minute ago, that you're not sitting there at the beginning of stage two, got the mag in, you work the bolt, and you can see the people yank on the trigger, yank harder, yank even harder. I'm waiting for the trigger to break. And then finally that person will groan, oh, and they'll take the safety off, and they'll begin their course of fire. But by then, they've got their head wrapped around uh, about the about the mistakes they made, and now they're warped themselves into not finishing that stage. So 
make sure that you have it ingrained in your muscle memory, and you do that by rehearsing it, rehearsing the stages over and over. Uh, and this isn't, like I said, this isn't gaming. This is teaching you how to use that rifle whenever you have multiple targets and a magazine change under the constraints of a uh, of a time pressure. And, you know, I hear people all the time telling me that, uh, you know, I, I would go to Appleseed, but I'm not, uh, that's not my bag. I'm more into uh, practical rifle skills. Folks, I don't know of a more practical rifle skill course than Appleseed. Uh because I always ask them, I said, you mean, by practical rifle, you mean like a course where where they would teach you how to shoot in in different positions uh, using uh, multiple targets and magazine changes under pressure of uh, of time constraints? And they go, yeah, something like that. I say, oh, okay, all right. Because that's yep. what we do at Appleseed. Yep, a lot of... A lot of uh... A lot of really good shooters come out to Appleseed and find out that uh, they uh, everything everything changes when you've got 55 seconds to get it done. Right. You know, everything, right, let's, uh, everything let's, changes. I'm going to bring another caller on us. Don't leave. I'm just going to bring somebody else on with us real quick. Uh, okay. Oh, hey, hey. I wasn't faster than the refresh one here. Hold on. away from you. Yeah. Okay. Chris, are you on? Can you hear me? Area code 580? Uh, the, uh, the switchboard page is acting kind of hinky. It's, uh, it's actually it's defying my authority by jumping away from me every time I click on it. So... I don't know if I can get him on or not, but I believe this is that's Chris from Oklahoma, Old Grunt. <clears throat> uh, if I can't get it to open, Chris, it's not because I'm not trying to. It's because uh, this uh, this software has taken on a an, an evil, malicious life of its own. All right. Well, do you have anything else, Wheeler? No, I just want to encourage people to get out. Uh, get out. One last chance before the end of the year. Uh, like I said, all across the West, all one last chance to get across the, to get out before the end of the end of the fiscal year. So get out, you know, the calendar year, I should say. Get out, get your rifles out, get them dirty, give you something to do before Christmas, get them all cleaned up again. That's right. Well, listen, uh, let me know how it goes. Tell Wade I said hey, and uh, look forward to seeing him again. He was one of the early uh, attendees. At uh, here in Davila, and uh, I haven't seen him in quite a while. But uh, you tell him I said hey, and uh, we will see you guys uh, on the trail. You have a great evening, Scout. Thanks. You, you too, too, Sam. Bye. You too, Wheeler. Yeah, we'll see ya. Bye. Okay, I have no idea what uh, what is going on with this page. But uh, I'm going to try and see if I can do something to correct it here. So, Sam, you talk for a second while I'm messing with it. Okay. Otherwise, I'll, I'll be talking like a zombie. Possessed computer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
I'll just be sitting here talking like a zombie if I try and talk and then chew gum at the same time or walk. Uh, you know, we were on the board here showing a little bit about wind, and I went out and shot uh, a match with a local group last weekend just, just to be doing it and had a lot of fun. And uh, we all enjoyed it. And uh, if you look at some of those pictures on there from last April of Wismer, that's about what the conditions were at our range last weekend. And you can go out and play in the dust and uh, get down in prone, get in your bubble and wake up when you're done underneath the pile of sand if you're not careful. Well, you get out I was at those uh, adverse conditions, and it'll show. I've been I've looked at the pictures for years now of the New Mexico shoots. And I still haven't <clears> been to one. I went out there to, for an IBC. Uh, a couple of years ago, when we all stayed at uh, uh, Tiles Glock and Bluefeather's house, and uh, oh, that remind me, I wanted to give well, them a plug. Scuzzy's on the phone waiting for you to pick up Scout. Where, where, what's he, where's he at? Is that the two five four number? I'm not sure. It's a prepaid. All right, hold on just a second. I'm going to see if I if I fix this software issue out because it was uh, every time I hit the Every time I tried to click on it, the page would actually jump away from my uh, from my cursor. Okay, area code two five four two eight nine. You're on there. Hello, Pizza Hut. Is this Pizza Hut, Mumbai? That, that's it. <laughs> hey, what's going on there, Scout? Not much. How you doing? Oh, uh, pretty good here. Uh, well, sounds like you got a possessed computer there. Uh, I, yeah. It, I don't know what the deal is. It here's what I here was my my quick fix on it. I did uh, uh, I closed. I didn't close it. I did uh, function F5, and that restored it to for my ability to uh, to click on it because it was just jumping away from uh, from. I put the cursor on it, click on the icon, and the whole thing would jump away out, slip out from under my my cursor. So, well, welcome to the show, Scuzzy. Hey, well, uh, I felt like calling in here, um, and, you know, it sounded like you needed a break from talking there. <laughs> well, I got I got that one fixed, and uh, I got, uh, let me see, I wanted to get, okay, here we go. Uh, area code 580, just a second, because we're going to see if this is, Chris, is that you? Last time I checked. All right, good man. Well, God bless you. How's life treating you? Oh, great, great, great. We just finished up our, uh, I guess, the last one for the year, being we're going to go ahead and opt to go up to Kansas and see Fred and try and get some knowledge off of him. But Badlands was Badlands, and everybody that missed out, I feel sorry for him because it was the perfect weather to shoot a 1,000 yards. We actually got to shoot an AQT, and two of our instructors recertified, being they've never shot KD. Full distance KD, they've always shot the AQT, so I actually, me and one of my protégés set up the range Sunday morning. By Sunday afternoon, we had confirmed riflemen at known distance, and they all got their come-ups. And, boy, it's just a wonderful thing to see a rifleman take an M14 and M1 Grand and any of those other center fires in the wind and watch it just bang away. Right. Right. And Badlands is a great place for it, uh, you know, you can look that that whole area of Oklahoma. It's, it's I'm not going to say it's beautiful because it's kind of nondescript, but 
it's yeah. very deceiving too because you look out there and you say, oh well, this is just a uh, this is just a you know it's just a flat barren uh, landscape and there's nothing out there. <laughs> and the actual the reality of it is is you could put uh, even out there near the uh, near the Badlands range there, you could put two divisions of armor uh, out there. And you'd never and see them. And that's what was so neat. That was what was so neat is that we came in Thursday afternoon to set up, and we actually got to watch Copperhead and a lot of illumination go overhead that Fort Sill was firing. So it was kind of we were doing our thing, and we were watching shells going across the mountain range. So, yeah, people had never seen that before. They were like, what is that? I was like, that's an artillery unit right there, and that's what they do, basic training all day long. So we were shooting, and we'd look over to the north, and you could see Copperhead rounds tracing through the cold air. <laughs> wow. Well, that's pretty neat, but great place to shoot. If you guys get a chance, you should go out to Badlands here in Oklahoma. If you're anywhere near there, take a take one of your weekends and pencil it in for the Badlands Badland shoot there in Oklahoma. It's a great range. Uh, Sheriff Bobby Whittington uh, runs the place, and and uh, and if you're not into tent camping, uh, then uh, he's got a great. Uh, I say it's great. It's a, like a bachelor pad hangout. Uh, uh, oh, he's redone it. He put in brand new windows. He put in another shower. We have facilities for the females now to where they're segregated. The big kitchen. He redid the uh, actual meeting hall, so it's it's top notch. I mean, it's it's a great place to go. But the neat thing about it is we picked up Arcadia. This spring, and Arcadia is another NRA pole target uh, course to where we could run KD all the way out to 600 there. So there's like three different ranges that are coming online in 2011. A lot of our new Red Hats and a lot of our new ITTs have stepped up and uh, really helped out with the paperwork aspect of it. So like uh, Greg in Missouri was hoping that, you know, Arkansas, Louisiana, Kansas, and Oklahoma will be able to pick up a little bit more, and it looks like that's what's going to happen. We've also come up with another idea as far as this winter seed is concerned. We don't necessarily have a lot of snow or bad weather, but we decided is that when Gary England out of Oklahoma City says there's a possibility to snow, we're half tempted to go ahead and start a mini, publicize it on our own little boards, and bring all the people that want to shoot for that patch in the snow show up at that snowstorm that'll actually show up usually around the end of January 1st of February. So the first snowstorm that comes around, we got the patches, we got the targets, we're going to shoot the snow. Well, perfect. You should be doing that. And listen, uh, just like he said uh, earlier, uh, for any of the surrounding states and stuff, if you don't have a uh, a place where you can get your guys certified on actual distance, uh, we'll put up a I imagine we're going to be putting up a listing of all the actual distance locations because what we're going to be heading to eventually is making sure that uh, all of the instructors uh, are qualified at actual distance because that's what we used to do. That's what we used to be was a uh, an actual distance organization. Now, don't, don't anybody uh, take off running screaming because this isn't uh, – uh, I'm not making up any policy now or anything, and – Nobody's going to nobody's going to be doing this uh, anytime in the immediate future. But I imagine at some point we're going to be uh, moving to making sure that all of our instructors are uh, certified that they've fired uh, to rifleman standards at the actual distance ranges. And there's no reason that you shouldn't uh, have done that. So 
be looking around at uh, actual distance ranges, places where you can get your certification, and work in that weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Chris just said they've got, and for all you guys that don't know, this is Old Grunt from uh, Oklahoma. Uh, he said they've got uh, three places there now. Uh, we've got uh, a couple in Texas, and uh, uh, we'll put a listing up uh, at some point to show folks all of the uh, all of the actual distance locations because we want to get everybody qualified at actual distance. It's so much more fun doing it that way. I mean, 25 is fun. Learn the skills, but until you can actually take them out to known distance and see what six steps of firing your shot is and what that front sight post looks like on that D side silhouette at 500 yards and 400 yards, you just got to see it to believe it. Just not on just on paper. You got to get behind that rifle and know if you trust those six things and you follow that NTOA, you're going to hit the black every time. That's right. You're going to put. Uh, one round of aimed fire into that target at 500 meters. You're going to put round, one round of aimed fire into it every two to three seconds until your mag runs out. And uh, each one of those is going to hit in there. And listen, I get people all the time telling me that, uh, man, the actual distance is uh, it's a lot easier than that 25 meter because of two <laughs> things. One, you're, we're only charging you 200 points uh, on the actual distance, and two... Uh, it looks a lot bigger. It looks uh-huh. a lot bigger, and uh, we're not making you uh, we're not making you switch on multiple targets. You're firing at that same target, uh, you know, through the whole course. And uh, and uh, when you look at that target in your sights, especially at stage one, when you look at that target in your sights at stage one, you're going like, man, this is huge. Mm-hmm. This target's huge. That's so, just because we were in Texas, so everything in Texas looks bigger for what we've been it told. It just looked bigger when it was here, didn't it? <laughs> After I've gone out there. I, I've painted like an eight-inch strip around all the targets here to make it easier. So mm-hmm. that way, uh, as Fred said, the the Texans don't have to ride all the way down to the 50-yard line before they start shooting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got anything else you got to put out? That's it. Other than the deer killing's going great, and all us riflemen up here are pretty much filling tags. Everybody's told me this had a chance to go hunting. That uh, guess what? Our skills work way out there. I was like, yeah, I know. Well, let's get to deer hunting real quick. I know this isn't apple seed, but it's kind of apple seed related, and here's why. Because I was talking to RPD uh, today, and we're talking about the uh, the apple seed uh, legal team. Uh, and while I'm talking about that, let me let me quickly mention this: is that uh, we have a program where we have the we would like to get as many uh, uh, as many legal folks and many attorneys involved as possible uh, with the program. Uh, so that we can have folks that we can consult on questions, on legal questions and stuff like that. And uh, if you know somebody uh, that's been shooting with your group in whatever state you're in, uh, and they're an attorney at law and they would like to help the Appleseed program uh, with that uh, rather than uh, than to be an instructor, or even if they are an instructor, if they still want to, to add their services to the Appleseed uh, uh, legal team, then we would sure like their help. If you're a member of the program, you can just uh, PM RPD on the forum. RPD is heading up the uh, the Appleseed legal team. If you PM RPD, uh, then he can get you set up. And uh, please do this as soon as possible if you can. And and uh, you guys uh, that are out there uh, in the lines, uh, if you if somebody says, "Hey, I'm an attorney," and ask them if they wouldn't mind uh, 
uh, as there's really not a whole lot to do, but ask if they wouldn't mind uh, helping by uh, by becoming a consultant with the uh, RWVA legal team. All right, that done. Let me tell you this. I was talking to RPD, and he said he was getting ready to go hunting this weekend, and right. he directed me uh, to look to try and Google three bucks locked in Ohio. Right. So if you guys are if you if you guys are on your computers if you Google Google that three bucks locked in Ohio, what you'll find are these three huge monster bucks. Matter of fact, when I looked at it the first time, I said that's got to be an elk rack. Uh, right. What they did is they three bucks were fighting, and they locked themselves tight, and they ended up fighting themselves into a creek, and the three of them drowned. And, yeah, uh, I believe it. And we, we found deer in the past. We found deer in the past. Yeah, we found deer in the past that that'll be fighting and then work their way into the wire and then get tied up in the wire and then like when we're out checking fence or feeding cattle, then boom, yeah, we found some in the fence line before and that's usually how it happens. They just go crazy and get tied up and next thing you know, you got two dead animals together. But yeah, well, uh, I told you this, Texas this, and Oklahoma, racks, we've been having these racks were big and he also told me this. He said that uh, I guess because they hadn't been killed on the highway or shot illegally, et cetera, that uh, the landowner had contacted the, the uh, you know, Ohio Parks and Wildlife, whatever it is, and right. uh, and he said, you know, they said, what do, you, what do you want me to do with these? And he said, well, they are animals that died uh, a natural, I, I guess as far as natural as being a deer, death, <laughs> uh, as opposed to being shot or something. They died a natural death. He said, so you own them, which is good for him uh, because I think Cabela's or uh, – or what's the other one, the boat store? Uh, well, all we got to do is ask Jezediah, and Jezediah would tell us exactly what those deers would worth, because if you think about it, that's what that man does for a living, is raise quality and trophy bucks for sales. So they, already offered, him. Would be able to they, they already offered him 150000 150, for the uh, well, for the rack. 150000 for the, uh, the three rack locked together. That's neat. That's neat. So, all right. Well, uh, Good luck with your uh, with the deer hunting, deer guiding. Yep. Let me know how it goes, and then uh, I'm hoping that we'll be seeing you uh, soon in the new year. Well, December 11th and 12th in Kansas, uh, Eureka, Kansas. If anybody's not had the opportunity to meet Fred and uh, learn some of the finer qualities of how an apple seed should run. I suggest they come up there and stay at Eureka because we have billeting and everything. It's going to be catered meals. It will be free to all ITT3s and Red Hats. The only thing we have is a $40 cover, and that's to cover the catered meals that we'll be having for the two days. Well, that sounds great. And listen, we just got through with that, uh, with the AIBC uh, here in Texas, and everybody was really happy with it. Uh, We had... uh, I had four days, or four days or five days uh, here with Fred. He taught uh, the AIBC uh, mm-hmm. at the same time that we were having the apple seed for the boot camp. We just cut loose all of the oh, instructors except the, the brand new ones. I think he had about 15 or 16 wow. folks there who were attending. And they just we, they just sat around a table out in the middle uh, of an open field, and, and uh, he ran it uh, for the two days. And they learned a lot, and uh, it was a good chance for everybody – Kind of get back on track and uh, and make sure that they're staying within the you know the parameters of, of what we're working with in apple seed and a good chance for the folks to meet the boss and uh, you know 
and 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 come back to the to the well and uh, get some of the pure apple seed water. Well, don't so you guys are going to be doing that. Uh, in what's the what are the dates again for the Eureka, Kansas? Eleventh and twelfth of December, sir. It'd be eleventh and twelfth of December, and I don't know. We may end up doing a an instructor shoot after Fred gets done talking to us because it seems <clears> like the Kansas guys and the Oklahoma guys. We kind of got a little rhetoric of who can shoot with what, and so we're going to bring all our toys up there, too, and we're just going to throw it down on the range, and let's just see what the AQTs say. That sounds good. All right, so that's everybody that's listening. If, you, uh, if you're going to be free the 11th and 12th, and uh, you're anywhere within 1,000 miles of Eureka, Kansas, that's going to be a great destination for you. Sounds like Chris and the guys there have it set up uh, really well, 40 bucks for the weekend. And that's going to give you all your food and beverages and stuff like that for at your for your meals, and uh, and then you get to spend uh, <clears throat> two days with Fred. So now some people may say that they should be paying you for that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you're. Well, you're I haven't seen him since to... Waterman, so I'm looking forward to seeing the old man. Waterman's the last time I got to see him. <clears throat> well, it's going to be a good chance for you to get. Uh, to get back in touch uh, with the uh, with the program, so good uh, good luck to uh, that weekend, and you guys have a good uh, a good successful AIBC, and uh, be sure and let us know uh, afterwards how it went. Yes, sir. All right, you got anything else? That'll be all, boss. All right, brother. I'll talk to you uh, next Tuesday. Sam, you got anything? Okay. No, sir, I don't. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and then move in into the. Unless the, you got, uh, I hit the switch on his on the mic. Okay, hold on a second. All right. Uh, there we go. Do you have anything from the chat, folks? Do they need anything? No, they're all waiting for waiting to hear about a risk in it. All right. All right. Well, here we go. I'm going to get started with that, and uh, and uh, I'll. Uh, Try and get that finished up, and then we'll get uh, we'll get back in on any questions that we have. I hope I've left enough time for this. <clears throat> okay, last week we talked about a risky, and the reason that uh, one of the, the reasons that that whole area was important was because, as I said, in the early days of the country, there weren't any roads. Uh, there were there were a few roads around, but not uh, there certainly wasn't uh, a really developed road system. So, in order to get to the interior. And you could get to the interior, you could get to the Great Lakes by river, by water, uh, by going along the rivers. And you could get almost all the way to the Great Lake. There was just one place you had to have a portage. And that was was in the area of what is now Rome, New York, okay? And that was where the Oneida Carry was. And it's still there. But uh, the United Carry was just the place where you had to actually get out of the water uh, off the river, and you had to carry, you had to portage your canoe over to the next river that would take you on to the Great Lakes. And uh, so that was a very important, uh, very strategic location, and the British ended up building uh, several forts there starting around the uh, 1750s. And they were, uh, you know, they were... They were occupied uh, at some points, and then at other points they were let go, and they would either go into disrepair or, or burn down, etc. Uh, 
and some of them were abandoned or captured or destroyed during the French and Indian Wars. Now, Fort Stanwix was built on its current site in Rome, in, uh, in Rome, New York, in 1762, and that was by... Uh, the British General John Stanwix. The fort took about uh, four years to build and then was almost immediately uh, abandoned in the, the next year and a half. <clears throat> and the fort was also the site of the, uh, of the proclamation in 1773 of the British Iroquois Treaty. And I told you about that, and the problem, some of the problems with that was that it ignored quite a few of the tribes who actually lived there, like the Shawnee, the Delaware, the Cherokee. <clears throat> All right. So the fort uh, was abandoned in 1768. Now we have the April 19, 1775, with the onset of hostilities with uh, between the colonists and the British, the British regulars. Now, we get the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. Eight days later, colonial troops occupied Fort Stanwix. They began to reconstruct it, to rebuild it and refortify it. All right, now we have a major attack taking place in three prongs coming uh, uh, into the colonies from Canada uh, is one of the prongs. You have one of the prongs is coming from uh, from New York, heading to the north, and then uh, there's another prong. Another prong is coming. Uh, let's see from uh, uh, from the uh, from the Delaware. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> so these three prongs are scheduled to come down and then meet. And continue on. Now, Major Burgoyne, with his main force, was attacking south from Canada. He had a, another advance uh, north from New York, and uh, you had Colonel Barry St. Ledger, who's attacking down into the Mohawk Valley, also from Canada. Now, these folks, what they meant to do was to conquer the colonial forces at Stanwix on their way south as part of a larger pan, plan to uh, eventually take Albany and rout the colonial forces in New York. Now, when Ledger arrived at Stanwix, he began a siege of the fort. And the folks there, the fort had already been uh, pretty much reconstituted by them. They had plenty of food, water, etc., so they were in a good position. Uh, Colonel Ledger didn't have uh, enough men to take the fort by force, so he began a siege. Locally, there was a commander, General Herkimer, of the uh, the militia there. He heard about the forces who were marching on Stanwix, and he gathered up the Tryon County militia, a group of about 800-plus men. Now, as we talked of before, uh, this wasn't a case of, uh, of what people usually think. This wasn't guys in blue fighting the guys in red, uh, professional soldiers. This was the militia, and this was actually one of the, uh, this was a battle where there were no uh, British regulars and there were no colonial troops. This was all uh, a fight between neighbors, a fight between uh, colonial loyalists and colonial militia. All right, now, 
Herkimer's fourth was going to march up to close to the fort, and the fort was going to fire a cannon three times. That was going to be the signal for Herkimer's force to begin its attack, because at the same time, uh, the forces at Stanworth were going to sally forth from the fort to open up a path for Herkimer's forces, forces to join them, and they would begin a combined attack on St. Ledger's forces. Herkimer got to the fort. He was waiting for the signal, but it didn't come. I don't know uh, the reason why. It's very unclear as to why they didn't fire. Uh, they were supposed to fire the, the cannons at a predetermined time that the attack would begin. Well, it didn't. So Herkimer wisely waited. During this waiting, uh, people started to get antsy. They wanted to to make the attack. They wanted to join in uh, and you know and, and battle these forces. And they began to question Herkimer's loyalty because he had a brother with the loyalists. And they said, "Well, you don't want to attack because you got a brother with the loyalists. So that's why you're not doing it." Unwisely, he got mad about this and ordered a premature attack. I mean, they were going to attack without the forces from. Uh, Stanwix helping them. Now, <clears throat> Brandt had a force, uh, a large force of loyalists and Indians. Joseph Brandt. He had uh, Sir John Johnson's Greens. That was a unit of the loyalists. And he also had uh, a large amount of Mohawks and Senecas. And they were waiting in an ambush there uh, on the road which led to the fort. Now, <clears throat> Herkimer was angry at uh, folks questioning his loyalty. He ordered them to begin marching to the fort, regardless of the fact that they were not uh, that the other forces weren't sallying forth. They were marching along. It's hot. His men were parched. They get uh, up to where the the current uh, where the uh, the Battle of Oriskany was fought. They get to this area, and there's a stream uh, that's running uh, in the valley there. His guys have been marching all day. They're hot. Uh, they know that the water is, uh, is down there, and they take off down to the water, and they start uh, plunging their heads into the water to get uh, drinks. It's a very small stream, all right, because I, I told you I was standing in that stream uh, a couple of years ago. <clears throat> now, the Indians who are waiting in ambush, the Senecas and the Mohawks, have been told to wait. Wait until Herkimer's forces come completely within the ambush zone. All right? That way uh, they could get the full force of all the, uh, the folks who are waiting there to ambush them. But the Indians couldn't wait. They got excited about the, the men who were just within their reach, and they set off the ambush prematurely. Now, all of those guys who were kneeling in the uh, the river to get their drinks, uh, dozens and dozens of them were hit. They went face down in the stream, and they bled out into the stream, filling the stream up with blood for miles. All right. <clears throat> I told you that uh, I stood in the stream. I felt uh, I felt the the hair on the back of my neck. Uh, stand up. I was waiting to get uh, to catch a around my head from the walnut-sized musket, but <clears throat> but luckily 
I didn't. Unluckily for Herkimer's men, they did. Now, Herkimer caught around during the initial fighting. His men drug him up on top of the uh, of the ravine there, placed him up against a tree, pulled out some tobacco, lit up a pipe, and started taking a smoke. His guys wanted him to take off. Now, these are the same guys who were saying, uh, you're too scared to, to attack. Now that the attack is going, they're saying, we got to go. we got to run. we got to get out of here. And he said, no, no, no. This is where we fight. We fight here. While he was sitting beneath the tree, he started directing the battle. <clears throat> now, this battle is known as one of the bloodiest of all the Revolutionary War battles, not because of the number of men killed, but because how the battle had been fought. Hand-to-hand, no quarter asked, no quarter given. It was a dirty, nasty battle to the death. And the number of killed-to-wounded ratio, it shows that. According to records, which which have a pretty good variety, and they were between 190 and 220 killed, with only 40 or so wounded. All right? The ratio is normally about one kill for every seven or eight wounded. So that tells you right then there that this was a very different kind of battle. Also, the guys that were fighting, the men fighting for the British, and the, the folks fighting for the colonials had been neighbors. They were neighbors. And this was a chance uh, for them to settle old scores that maybe had been brewing for years. You know, the worst fighting... when. You go to a crime, a modern crime scene today, and they'll tell you the bloodiest crime scenes are the ones when one family member goes after another. And that's what was happening in this battle. <clears throat> Not only that, uh, during this battle, and you can see it now, you can get kind of a grip on understanding how it was happening then. The grass in the ravine is chest or neck deep. So you have a lot of fighting going on, but you're not, you can't really see what's going on. So the guys were fighting at absolutely close ranges. So what would be happening is uh, the guys would be sitting there waiting, and two feet away from them would be uh, one of the enemy Indians. And say one of the guys would fire, he'd take a shot at somebody he saw. As soon as he shot, the guy that was standing a few feet from him, would raise up out of the grass, come over, and plant uh, a tomahawk in his head and a knife in his chest. And uh, and that would be the end of that person. The uh, Indians had actually been told not to uh, use their muskets. They were supposed to use their knives and their hatchets in this fight. And that's what they did. So during a lull in the battle, now this is going on, this is going on really fast. It's bloody. It's uh, pretty horrific. Uh, the guys are being killed uh, at a at a horrific rate. But just like anything else, I don't care how much you want to uh, to kill a hundred people. You're probably only going to be able to kill a uh, twenty five or so before you get before you got to take a break, right, and catch your breath. That's what happened here. There was a lull in the fighting. While there was a lull, Herkimer ordered his men to pair up and fight in teams. All right. Now this was absolutely a really good strategy. Because the, the two guys fighting together, you have one guy who was designated uh, as a marksman. He would take a shot. When he would see an enemy, he would take a shot at that guy. Now, the, in the enemy Indians who were lurking close by, as soon as they heard that round fire, they would pop up to come in and kill him. When they did, the second guy would be sitting there waiting. Bang, he would take that guy out. All right. While he's doing that, the first guy is loading up again. 
All right, and that's how they that's how they started firing. Uh, that's how they started fighting the rest of the day, and uh, that uh, that put a big dent in the tactics of the Senecas and the Mohawks, and eventually kind of evened up the odds on the battlefield. Now, right about the same time, right after the the lull in the battle, there was a unit of loyalists. Remember, I told you about the John Johnson's Greens. All right. <clears throat> They actually had red coats on, but inside of the red coats there was a green lining. What they decided to do, they said, "We'll take the red coats off, we'll turn them inside out, and then uh, we'll act like we're their relief guys and we're coming to help them from the fort." And so these guys start coming out and they're actually being welcomed, but right before they get into firing and fighting distance. One of Herkimer's officers, and I've also read that the the daughter of one of the 60 Oneidas that was with him, the daughter was, the, he had his family with him there. There was a daughter, some babies and stuff like that. The daughter and uh, another officer recognized some of the loyalists who were riding toward them. They sounded the alarm. So when that when this unit eventually charged, they charged within seconds of this, the guys were ready for them. The uh, uh, Herkimer's militia, the uh, colonial troops were ready for them, and they were slaying them left and right and actually sent them running because they were counting on uh, on surprise to get within the enemy lines, and that no longer happened. So they took a heavy beating and actually got routed. Uh, the chief of the Oneidas who'd come with uh, Herkimer's forces, he actually brought along, uh, as I said earlier, he brought along his 15 year old daughter uh, with him and they were there with Herkimer when the loyalists attacked and she actually uh, fired off her rifle uh, her musket at uh, Sir John Johnson's greens and went after them uh, with her tomahawk screaming the tribe's battle cry and actually uh, sunk the tomahawk into one of the guys the battle eventually ended after about Three hours. The British prevented General Herkimer and his men from reinforcing Fort Stanwix. But Herkimer's forces held the field. Now, this could hardly be called a victory for the British or for the colonists. It was, uh, it was just a big group of guys who tore into each other and killed a lot of each other. Now, while the Battle of Oriskany was being fought, the men from Fort Stanwix, uh, the guys that were supposed to come out on the uh, to sally forth and meet up with Herkimer's men, I guess they heard the battle going on. They did, they eventually sallied forth, but instead of coming out to help, and uh, while this sounds kind of bad, it was actually probably a pretty good help. When they came forth, for, when they came out of Fort Stanwix during the battle, they went to the Indians' camps. And they raided the Indians' camps that were unguarded. They took everything out of the camps, all the food, all the all of the personal possessions, etc., and they burned the camp to the ground. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> the Indians, all of these Indians, and there was uh, almost a thousand of them, they'd been told that they were going to get a lot of easy scalps, and they were going to get a whole lot of, uh, of battlefield uh, plunder, that they were going to get from the fort. Instead, uh, they didn't get a beating, but they lost 
a large group of their warriors uh, during this battle, especially during the second phase when I told you that Turkmen's men were fighting in pairs. They lost a lot of their warriors. And on top of that, not only did they not get scalps and booty, at least not the amount they were told, they lost all of the possessions that they had brought with them when their camp was raided. Now, with no camp or food or clothes left, the Indians, who were not, they weren't fighting uh, the colonists for, uh, for ideological reasons other than they wanted to stop their westward expansion. They, they were actually uh, very disheartened by this. And uh, they gathered up what was left of their deer, and they said, that's it, we're done. And they left. Herkimer's forces gathered up their wounded, and what dead could be carried and went home also. Now, some estimates have put the the dead and wounded as high as 650 men out of the 800-plus men who fought that day. Almost all the families living in the Mohawk Valley had lost a family member or a relative. With many of the families, many of the families living there lost all of the male members of the family. Uh, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of families who had lost uh, uh, all, uh, who had lost some, if not all, of the men in their families. The dead, who had not been able to be taken home, they lay on top of the ground at the battle site for many years after the war. Walking below the ridge where the ambush began, I saw the white of a bone in the soil beneath the roots of an upturned tree that had just fallen in a storm that season. It was the femur of a human. Now, I didn't disturb it or, or move it, but I did rub my fingers along the smooth, cool surface of the bone, and I tried to understand the man it had belonged to. While I was in the ravine at the ambush site, it was it was easy to Monday morning quarterback the game. You know, if the forces under Herkimer in the rear, who had not been engaged in the initial ambush, if they had detached and move her to the east and then south, moving around and flanking, uh, attacking the flanks of Brant's forces. They could have driven them into the ravine and fired into them from the high ground, uh, turning tables on them as, as what had been done to them. The force of the, in the ravine, who were down at the stream, they could have held them by the, by the nose while the maneuvering elements flanked and drove them. But the militia were farmers and craftsmen. They weren't soldiers. They were neighbors fighting neighbors. In addition to this, the forces that were most ably going to be effect this maneuver were commanded by Colonel Visser and Lieutenant Commander, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Volker Vieter. When the ambush was sprung, they actually took their men and ran away as fast as they could, trying to get out of the fight and make their way back to Fort Dayton for safety. These were the, some of the same men who had just accused Herkimer of cowardice because Herkimer wanted to wait for the signal. But their tactics were not successful because as the unit was running away they were pursued and as they were running uh, they were killed as they were running because when you're running you can't fight back and the guys that were chasing you can shoot at you and, and kill you at will Vischer and Volkert were later charged with cowardice and put on trial but nothing ever came of it. Herkimer was taken home where his wound was treated but he became infected and they amputated the leg but then he died a couple of days later from the, the blood loss as the bleeding couldn't be stopped. Now, this was very important because 
The Battle of Oriskany is believed to be the first time the Stars and Stripes ever flew in battle. The battle was also the turning point in the war. With a failed attack on Stanwyck, setting in motion the failed attacks at Bennington and finally Saratoga, where Burgoyne was forced to surrender. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this. If you want to find out uh, more about this, I encourage you to read more. If you want to read this story, it's posted under the Ghost of New York uh, in general discussion on the forum. All right. We're coming to the end of uh, our Tuesday night. I look forward to uh, hearing from you guys, uh, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope that we see you again this next Tuesday. All right, good night, everybody. Sam, good night to you. Thank you once again for your help. Thank you for the opportunity, Scout. And we'll see you guys uh, next Tuesday, uh, same time, same place. Uh, God bless you all, and uh, I'll see you on the trail. Good night. Good night, everyone.